Hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum's speaker webinar series. I'm Len Zimmerman, and I will be moderating the discussion today. We are pleased to have with us Christine Douglas Williams, who will discuss Islamism in Canada under Trudeau. Christine will speak for five to 10 minutes, and then we'll open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen. We'll do our best to get to all your questions, but we have many participants on the webinar. So I apologize in, in advance if we do not get to yours today. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Christine Douglas Williams. Thank you kindly, Len. It's a privilege to be here. As most of you would know, Trudeau won the federal elections in 2015, and then again in 2019, although a minority government. Now, under his government, the country has seen a worrying advance of Islamism. I'll focus later on three particular specific items. Number one, the activities of the elite foreign unit of Hezbollah, Unit 910, the foreign fighters of ISIS not being prosecuted, and a special visa program exposed. It grants visas to war criminals, terrorists, and those who pose security threats. But first I'll give a quick summary of other important items to establish an atmosphere in Canada under Trudeau which provides fertile ground for the expansion of Islamism. First point, Canada is under anti-Islamophobia motion M103. Although not technically legislation, it has paramount influence in terms of liberal government policy, backed up by a $23 million funding package to execute such measures as monitoring citizens for compliance and training law enforcement to investigate online and offline hate speech. The NCCM, formerly CARE-CAN and IRFAN, which was declared a terrorist entity, by the former conservative government because of its associations to Hamas, both are working with the Trudeau government on execution of M103 across the board, as announced by MP Ikra Khalid, who was the one who tabled M103. The NCCM in particular is extraordinarily influential in the Canadian government. Next point, in a break from tradition and without warning, the Trudeau government voted to support an anti-Israel pro-Palestine UN resolution identifying Israel as an illegal occupier in violation of international law. And currently there are 15 Muslim members of parliament in the Trudeau government among the most influential. Omar al-Gabra, who attended the, get this, 44th session of the Council of Foreign Ministers of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation in 2017 on behalf of the country Canada. He doesn't believe that Hamas and Islamic Jihad are terrorists. He also said that he mourned the death of Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat. And when Ontario declined to permit the use of Sharia law back in 2005, Al-Gabra said outright that he was disappointed. The other, Ikra Khalid, that I mentioned, and again, she's the one that tabled M103. Then there's Ahmed Hussein, former Minister of Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship from 2017 till 2019. He campaigned hard for the UN Migration Pact, vowing that Canada globally will, quote, lead the charge. The pact indicates that no country can address the challenges and opportunities of this global phenomenon on its own, unquote. Caution on where this pact is going. 
the European Commission's legal service is holding to the view that the UN compact should have legally binding consequences. Hussein also pushed to reinstate the citizenship of convicted terrorists, thus reversing the former conservative government's revocation of dual citizenship for those convicted of terrorism. Hussein justified his decision declaring that, again, quote, a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian, unquote. Another, MP Majid Johari, who's been actively seeking to reopen the doors for diplomacy with Iran and also reopen the Iranian embassy in Ottawa that was shut down for espionage in 2012 because of its calls to infiltrate the federal government and expand a fifth column countrywide with goals believed to result in the attacking of the United States also. MP Johari also was accused quite recently of working with and getting paid by the Iranian regime in a CBC expose. And there is an active petition now to have him removed from parliament. Now highlighting the terrorist threats now, Hezbollah's external operations group known as Unit 910 is reported to be even more active in Canada than it's been in the United States. Unit 910 is Hezbollah's elite clandestine unit, which functions as the far-reaching strategic arm of Hezbollah and of Iran. It's also known as the Black Ops of Hezbollah and the Islamic Jihad Organization. Its key purpose is actually to serve as a deterrent against the West and also against Israel. News emerged in 2019 that a sleeper agent based in the United States, Ali Karani, a member of Unit 910, visited Pearson Airport seven times. And there he gathered detailed information about security measures until he was finally arrested in 2017. This was according to a report circulated by the Canadian Air Transport Security Authority. And Karani was found not to be operating alone. U.S. prosecutors confirmed that Hezbollah had tasked Karani to collect information so it can plan attacks. The intent, according to Karani, was to smuggle explosives into Canada from the United States. Then back in December, he was sentenced in New York City as a Hezbollah operative to 40 years in prison for covert terrorist activities on behalf of Unit 910. Karani himself admitted to the FBI that the unit, again, was even more active in Canada than in the United States. He turned over to the FBI a list of at least 50 names from his contact list, both in Canada and the United States, names that have close ties to Hezbollah factions. And so far, we've heard no um, significant follow-up on that. Hezbollah has now crossed a new threshold with its Unit 910. It is actually long operated in Canada, but it was mostly fundraising through crime and charities and shop for materials and expanded its influence here. Next, Canada's intelligence agency CSIS admitted that dozens of known jihadis were walking free since 2017, at least 60 of them who were well known and authorities won't charge them. One wonders why and leaked intelligence documents also show a much greater threat of Islamic terror than the government admits. So, Officials have decided, according to leaks, that they won't charge these fighters, and it was revealed in Breitbart, and then, of course, trickles to other sources. But it's deemed to be, by them, a logistical nightmare to prosecute them from actions they did overseas in Syria and in Iraq. These jihadists are known to have gone to terrorist training camp, and then they returned home, and they're actually deemed to be ticking time bombs. 
But even with logistical problems and complaints by CSIS of limited resources, when $23 million is, is going to M103 follow-up and over 800 million went off to the World Health Organization as just a couple of small examples. There's absolutely no commitment by RCMP to gather evidence, even charge them or deal adequately with surveillance for the sake of public safety. So one wonders why more funding isn't going from the Trudeau government into following these people, surveilling them to the benefit of the Canadian public. Trudeau in fact has reinforced ISIS fighters as a quote, potential powerful voice for de-radicalization while last year Turkey came forward and offered to cooperate with the RCMP and help Canada to repatriate the Islamic State jihadists held in Syria. All questions that have been raised on the House of Commons floor by the opposition conservatives are deemed to be Islamophobic. Similar to the Obama administration, the Trudeau government has removed all mention of Sunni and Shia extremism from Public Safety Canada report on terrorism threats. Now the last item, there's a national secret visa program that's been exposed, a program which awards visas to war criminals, terrorists, and those who pose security threats. According to internal documents obtained by Global News, Canada's secret program allows specifically certain high profile foreign nationals who would otherwise be completely barred from the country due to national security concerns because they have committed deeds like war crimes, massive human rights violations and organized crime. But under this special visa program, certain high profile folks among this violating group are to be granted special quote, public policy entry visas, so long as it in Canada, quote, is of national interest. But the Liberal government does not define what that national interest could possibly be when questioned. An example of a high profile official with the Egyptian military who came in. A visitor, a visitor visas were issued after a senior official from the Department of National Defense in Ottawa wrote a letter to Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada saying that retired Brigadier General Khalid Saber Abdul Hamid Zah and his wife should be given visas to avoid upsetting Canada's relationship with Egypt's military. The government would not say how many of these special visas were actually issued, nor would it say what countries the recipients are coming from. In fact, the information that was requested was found to be exempt under a section of the Access to Information Act, as it could be injurious to the relationship of our international partners, unquote. This may well include Iran, since the Trudeau government prioritized reestablishing a friendly relationship with Iran in 2015, but an outcry by dissidents created problems. Also to consider, former Montreal Mayor Denis Coderre, he signed a quiet deal with the Islamic Republic of Iran, reported by Tasman News Agency. Coderre was mayor of Montreal between 2013 and 17. In 2016, he quietly traveled to Iran where he signed a groundbreaking agreement with the regime to quote, boost mutual cooperation in various fields. Coderre was president of the board of directors of Metropolis at the time, a global network of major cities and metropolitan areas. And Tehran, in fact, boasted about its close ties with Metropolis over the past two decades, a troubling fact compounded by the lack of Canadian media coverage about Coderre, the mayor, which, who was the mayor of Canada's second largest city, cozying up to Iran. The first is Toronto. Concerning the special visa program that allows the government a blank check to welcome in questionable international officials otherwise inadmissible to Canada because of security concerns. Well, 
According to an immigration expert and other officials critical of the program, the policy is an insidious example of government secrecy. And to say the least, it's undemocratic and troubling. And that brings us a close to a synopsis of what some of what's being taking place in Canada. Christine, thank you. You've given us uh, a lot to think about. Um, and we have a number of questions. Uh, the first one here, is there a reason or benefit to liberal countries and politicians to promote jihadists? Well, we know of a phenomenon, Len, um, that's referred to as the red-green axis. And this is um, red referring to um, anywhere from socialism to communism generally. And I don't want to make, um, I, I'm, I'm trying not to categorize too many people because you have gray areas, but those who are sympathetic toward the far left cause and the green side, which represents Islamism. And together they have been working together quite a bit when it comes to undermining our democracy. And many questions have gone out, well, what can they possibly benefit by it? But there has been this thrust to undermine our democracy toward this, what you see building now, a globalism. And one does wonder whether this red-green axis will eventually fizzle out, because it seems to be at this point a, a, um, a, a, an alliance of mutual convenience. But there's evidence for it internationally as various countries of the West ally themselves also with various countries throughout the Middle East and otherwise. Can you comment on the government's failure to list the IRGC as a terrorist organization, despite being listed so in the United States? There's absolutely no reason, rhyme or reason, that one can personally conjure up why this government has not done so. In fact, as I mentioned earlier on, there has been outcry particularly from dissidents of Iran that feel quite unsafe in Canada. Many of them are reported to be under threat from the Iranian regime from back home where it's even been announced and their names are on certain lists. And they have been rallying the government to list Iran as terrorists and distance itself, but the government has failed to do so. And as I also indicated earlier, there were immediate plans in 2015 when the government first came into power to establish um, re-establish negotiations with Iran. They went so far as to call it diplomatic and that fell through because of outcries and that outcry went beyond the dissidents and started to hit the general political arena on the right and in some cases concerned citizens that may have been more balanced on the left as well. So there's no reason why this hasn't been done and we hope that continued pressure may eventually lead to some kind of a um, some kind of a policy that way. But again, when you look at the signs that's going on in Canada, including the vote at the United Nations on behalf of the Palestinian cause, and I'm not talking the people, I'm talking the cause, considering the, um, the condemnation that Israel receives from the United Nations, there, this, there's absolutely no reason why Trudeau would take a turn. And this happens suddenly out of nowhere to actually side with the enemies of Israel. So, um, I'm sorry, um, do you think the average Canadian is aware of this and do they condone it? 
I think the average Canadian will, will not condone what they see happening with the Liberal government. And that question is important because it takes us back to the 2019 elections when Trudeau ended up with a minority government. So there was some erosion in terms of popular support. When one goes back even further, just months before the election, there was, according to stats across the board, there was preference um, for the opposition conservatives and it kept on being reported even by the mainstream media that people in Canada were absolutely fed up with what they were seeing going on in the in the federal government camp in the liberal government a lot was was being exposed even some of the issues that I mentioned today that that all came from mainstream media and still when it came to the election there are those who are in a habit of voting one way and they continue that, particular in the face of having a problem with, well, who, what's the option here? Do we really have a lot of faith in the conservative government, given that Andrew Scheer at the time was leader and there were lots of issues being raised because of him that undermined his own leadership potential? So Canadians are aware, but I would say they're not aware near enough what's going on in the liberal camp. Okay, so the next question, it's a uh, two-part, um, very important. So what can Canadians do to stop Trudeau from allowing such terrorist organizations to take root in Canada? And then the second part is, what do you think the future of Islamism in Canada would look like if nothing changes? The first part of that question is very important. And the best thing anybody could do is exercise their democratic right to vote. Let's face it, this is the government that we voted in. When you vote in a certain government, I mean, we saw in, in America what happened under the Obama administration. Some of the policies that were implemented, the, the um, infiltration of government, and in fact, both the private and public sector by Muslim Brotherhood interests and beyond. We're seeing the same thing in Canada under this government. So the best thing Canadians can do is educate themselves. Stop just reading um, the headlines and start getting more aware of what's going on. Let your voice be heard to your local local MP and, and start paying attention. Right now under M103, which is probably the worst thing that could have happened, and as I mentioned earlier, the NCCM, the National Council of Canadian Muslims, who was formerly CARECAN, they are, they are advising the government and they have a lot of pull. So we're seeing that trickle down effect. This The Islamist organizations that are pressuring the government to implement certain policy, and people tend to take a more passive approach People need to start getting more involved in the democratic process, letting their voices be heard and understanding that votes indeed translate to policy and does eventually affect life overall in the country of which you live. And the second part of that question, I think I may have covered that if you want to repeat that. Uh, yes. Um, second part was, what do you think the future of Islamism in Canada will look like? Yes, and I, I, I semi-covered that. The future of Islamism in Canada, I'm sad to say, under this particular government, if such policies are allowed to continue in Canada, unimpeded, 
and the government is not called to public accountability, Islamism in Canada is going to proliferate and it's gonna keep on going. Right now, it's, it, it's tough as is, and we're starting to see, which there's no time to address today, some infiltration going on even in the conservative camp. For those that might've been paying attention, you'll realize that there was some trouble when it comes to um, the, the election of the leader, the new leader of the conservative party, where the, um, that vote to choose a new leader is coming up in August. So we are seeing a tremendous advance of Islamism in the country, but not without hope. There are those still fighting, and we're starting to see more of that fight, I would say, against it as it becomes more and more emboldened. So in terms of hope, there is certainly hope in the country, but it calls for everyone, possibly, who can get involved in the democratic process and be, um, be responsible when it comes to the election of who was governing the country. So why do you think Trudeau has been so accommodating? Why has he been so accommodating? Okay, um, I'll give a very <laughs> minor example. There is, there's a camp situation going on as we know, the red-green axis, globalists versus what's termed populists. And then there's this whole segment in between. Trudeau is a proud globalist. When he won the elections first in 2015, one of the first photo ops he took was with George Soros. He has surrounded himself by globalists. He is campaigning hard to get a seat at the UN um, Security Council. And in fact, when the virus broke out, coronavirus, and Canada was deemed to be in crisis at that point, people were becoming rather upset because he was still abroad trying to campaign for this seat. He has made it very clear who he stands for. And although there are habitual liberal voters, and I, and I know that um, in the past, it was less serious from the point of view of there was more balance. When one looks at the corruption going on in the Trudeau government, and for those listening, everything I said today, you could look it up, it's documented. Trudeau is on one side here when it comes to globalism. He's made no secret about it. And the biggest question I think for myself and everybody is why people still keep voting in a force that is that aspires to globalization. But when all is said and done, out there in the public, we do have these two camps, one, one side, the globalism, and the so-called populists on the other side. So Trudeau has spoken for, he's brazen about it, and he is not even bending on being a globalist. He's a proud globalist. Can you um, speak about the issue that has come up recently regarding the Muslim call to prayer? and yes. how that has uh, affected both the community and the government? It's the call, the call to prayer, the Adhan in Canada has become rather politicized. Basically like everywhere else, throughout Europe we see the same thing, that there were groups within um, the Islamic community, the Islamists in particular, that were, that, were, that were pressuring local as well as the federal politicians for the call to prayer. This was something that we didn't see that kind of a brazenness when we saw Passover, when we saw Easter, but somehow when Ramadan came up, this became a central issue and there was pressure on the government. And once again, I'm going back to M103 and going back to the NWCM lobby. It ended up being an issue where there was um, 
there was a rift going on between concerned members of the public and politicians. And many of the politicians who were listening to the Islamist organizations, by the way, the moderates in Canada were very much against this. And I'm talking the ones that are known to the Middle East Forum, like Raheel Raza, Tariq Khatan, those, they, they were against this, this call to prayer for Zana Hassan. There, there were a few of them, but they were against it. Their voices won't, won't, um, were not being listened to. It was the Islamist voices. And it caused that rift, as I said earlier. And the basic the basic argument that we kept on hearing, and it even came in private emails, and some of them I had privy to see, um, well, we hear church bells, but they fail to differentiate that church bells are just musical. When you look at the call to prayer, the Adhan, it, it, is, a, it is a prayer and a call and a sermon over loudspeakers declaring the supremacy that there's no God but Allah and, it, and it's a supreme faith. And this is what was not being differentiated and it was not being dealt with. And now, and I don't know where that stands right now, there, there is a constitutional challenge where um, there's a fellow on Facebook um, that is trying to say, look, we're tired of this and we don't agree with what you did. For instance, even out in Calgary, the Muslim mayor there, he came right out and advised the, um, the the mosques there to go ahead and to violate the noise bylaw and air the adhan whereas other communities they change the bylaw to suit the call to prayer so there's a lot of divisions going on in canada right now when it comes to the islamist thrust that we see and what's happening repeatedly is that groups like the nwcm and the other islamist organizations they're not taking any blame for the division they're calling the people that want to see a united canada and equality across the board they're calling them islamophobic racist not multicultural um, unaccepting and so forth, all the routine names that you hear, which tends to shut down criticism of the Islamism that we're seeing, and it intimidates the local politicians right up to the federal um, politicians, regardless of partisanship. So we've had a number, and, I, and I'll make this our last question, because we've had a number of people that um, had wanted to know. Um, what can Canadians do to stop Trudeau from turning Canada into an Islamist entity? And what also can non-Canadians do as well? You need, and, and I mentioned this earlier, I'm going to emphasize it again, don't underestimate what one voice can do. Politicians need to be called up. Citizens need to understand deeply that this is beyond them. Do not succumb to names like racism, Islamophobic. I've been called racist, Islamophobic, and was fired from the federal government because I criticized Islamism. There is a force out there, and of course it's not just me. A lot of lawfare is happening in the country. To stop this, you need to let your voices be heard to the conservatives, to the liberals, anybody, but you need to get that voice out there and influence elections. Otherwise, there's no other way. You will be overcome by Islamists. Not to forget the UN Migration Pact and the flooding in of unvetted immigration into Canada. And also to mention that leak that we have with Roxham Road between um, the, the border between Quebec and, and the United States, where over 60,000 have entered and nobody knows where these people come from. They could be ISIL fighters. But the point of the matter is they have trickled through um, illegally and many ask, well, where are they from? They're from all over the world. They started out from Haiti, but then there was a concentration from the Middle East and Africa as well. And 
many of them just entered the states, stayed for a few days, and headed to Roxham Road because they knew the free pass. Many of them have been living illegally in the states, and they said, hey, we have an opportunity here. We're going to cross that border at Roxham Road. So we do see this influx. We're going to see a population that's going to go up that is not on our side, given the globalist view of the government. So it's urgent that you get yourself involved in Canada as any democratic country would. Otherwise, you're going to lose your right as a citizen in a democratic system. Thank you so much, Christine, uh, for joining us today. Very informative, interesting. Uh, we really appreciate it. Unfortunately, we've come to the close of our webinar. Please be on the lookout for our upcoming weekly webinar offers email this weekend. Thank you again for joining us. Have a wonderful day and a terrific weekend. Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye.